Thanks, Vince, and good morning, everyone. Um, I'm excited to lead us in a conversation comparing the Super Bowl to following Jesus. Just kidding. We're not going to talk about football this morning. Um, <laughs> instead, maybe a little more meaningful, I'm excited to lead us through a conversation on looking lovingly at our past selves. So Vince and I were talking earlier this week about the necessity of self-compassion as we examine what we believe now and what we may have believed in the past. It can be tempting, I know at least for me it has been in certain seasons, to disconnect who we currently are from who we used to be. And yet there is a gift in being able to hold ourselves as collectives. We are simultaneously who we are, who we have been, and who we are becoming. It can be difficult to suspend judgment here as we hold our full stories and the journeys that have brought us here. So this idea of looking lovingly at our past selves is an effort to extend compassion to ourselves and see value in the experiences that have shaped us, even if we no longer align with the beliefs or perspectives that came out of these experiences. In an effort of leaving things behind, we can still hold our own stories tenderly. Brené Brown, who is someone that we quote and go to often at Brown Line, she's a shame and vulnerability researcher and speaker and author. She writes about self-compassion in a lot of her books. One of my, I was gonna grab it for a little show and tell, but one of my favorites is uh, a really small one called The Gifts of Imperfections. So if you are also in a recovering perfectionist boat, this one might be a good read for you. Um, but here she outlines self-compassion as consisting of self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Mm. Those are elements that help us look back on our past selves and hold our current selves with um, gentleness and with love. Therapy has been wildly helpful for me in the work of self-compassion. And in our conversation earlier this week, Vince brought up coping mechanisms. So I think gracefully recognizing that there are coping mechanisms that were helpful at particular points in time, um, it can be a really good thing. And as we grow and change, those same methods of coping may no longer be useful. In fact, they may actually bring harm to ourselves and to those around us. So in an effort to not get too over theoretical about all of this, I think it might be helpful to give some concrete examples of coping mechanisms that are no longer serving us well. So if something comes to mind um, for you, feel free to share it in the chat. But I know for me, for the majority of my life, people pleasing has been my go-to way to navigate relationships in different settings. So I am the oldest child in my family and I was an only child for about eight years. Um, so the underlying question of what can I do to earn praise runs pretty deep. At its best, I think people-pleasing has motivated me to think really intentionally about the ways that I interact with others. I feel like empathy and people-pleasing are actually pretty closely related. But at its worst, people-pleasing has caused me to abandon my own needs, my own opinions for the sake of keeping the peace or making others happy. So this self-abandonment is not a healthy landing place. And often I've found that it just prolongs tension instead of dissipating it. So as I have moved away from people-pleasing, setting boundaries has been super important for me. 
I pay attention to when I don't know, or I don't care language slips in because typically I do care. <laughs> you do. You do I care. Do. <laughs> I have opinions about things and they matter. Um, or any sense of, I should be doing this. I should be thinking or feeling this, but I have definitely grown in my self-awareness around being able to name and validate my own needs. So Vince, as we're getting this conversation started, I would love to know if there is a coping mechanism that comes to mind for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, The one that, um, as we talked about this, and I I said it in the chat, but I want to say it on my, uh, the inspiration for thinking about coping mechanisms this week was from a great conversation with my friend from church here, Ed. And, uh, and we had, we had this conversation uh, about uh, hiding and lying out of insecurity and fear, uh, like, uh, mostly fear of embarrassment, which is something that I, I think I struggled with a lot, uh, uh, especially early on in my life. And so uh, one really interesting uh, version of this for me, uh, because it's it's super interesting because I uh, am, I'm regularly leading people in song now in my life. Like we were, <laughs> I was leading us in song a little while ago here, uh, but I uh, used to be really afraid of singing in front of other people. Uh, and like, to, I feared embarrassment. I didn't know if I could keep a tune. I'd never done that. I didn't grow up in a family that sang a lot. Um, my dad w- uh, was comfortable singing and played guitar, but like that was never something that was necessarily like you had to do that or be like your dad in that way. And, uh, and so I was really afraid of it, but I was involved in theater and I really enjoyed uh, improv in particular in like middle school and high school. And so I did a lot of, uh, I, I like, I tried out for things. And I remember there was a, a tryout for a theater program at my high school that I really wanted to be in. It was like, it was like the comedy variety show. And a lot of it was improv. And I was like, this is so exciting. I really want to do this. I think I'd, I think I'd enjoy this. And, uh, but part of the audition included uh, singing in front of the panel of like you know, the teachers and, you know, and older upperclassmen who were going to decide who was going to be in the show. And I was so afraid of it that I pretended that I didn't realize that there was a, a singing portion. I just, I like, I, I knew full well, but I, I, I literally, like, I was, I was so afraid of it that I just pretended it wasn't there. And I look back on that Vince now and like, man, like I, I, I have, I, I have so much tenderness toward that Vince, right? Like who was so just like, it, it made, it made my skin crawl a little bit, like to, to be exposed to potentially do something that other people might not think was great. Um, you know, there's my perfectionistic tendencies there, right? Like it just the fear of being on display. And, uh, and it, it's, it's interesting that it, it took, um, it took me moving into spaces of healing to help that. It took me being in a community where I saw other people willing to make fools of themselves and people still loved them. And, uh, and that helped me. Um, it took my first experiences of God where, you know, God being this, 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 uh, this force of love uh, that, that, that there is no, there is nothing that I can do that could exhaust that love or like, you know, uh, that, that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be worthy of it in any way. That really helped me uh, having my first like initial experiences of like, oh my gosh, like I'm okay, no matter what happens. And, uh, but it was, it, it's, it, it's hard because I think years later now singing in front of people is so much a part of my life uh, as that kind of, you know, totally flipped that I can forget that that younger Vince existed. And I'm not sure that's good. I, I, don't, I don't think I want to pretend that that younger Vince never existed. I think I want to in some way be able to, 
be able to see younger Vince and look tenderly on younger Vince. Yeah, I, as I was reflecting, preparing for this, I just kept thinking about, oh, I just want to go and give past Haley a hug and tell her like, you don't have to try so hard. Um, I also didn't know that we were both high school theater kids. That's a fun Fun fact. I didn't. I didn't realize that either. But hey, there we go. Were did you? Were you uh, afraid of singing in uh, in uh, auditions? <laughs> I think it was so much a part of my life that I was okay with it. Um, but there is, there's definitely my own coping mechanism of just focusing really, really hard of wanting to make other people, um, yeah, just wanting to perform. And I think performance is tied into a lot of this too. Like it we is. figure out, we figure out how to perform whether we're lying or disconnecting from ourselves or whatever it may be, um, that maybe the lens of performance is actually helpful here. Um, but something that you also brought into the conversation not too long ago was being able to see God as a partner in the mm. work. Um, and here I think that the, um, there's hope in being able to see God as deeply involved in this process of growing in self-awareness and moving toward being well, and in the the act of reflecting and looking back and seeing um, who we were as directly connected to who we are now. Um, I'm curious, Haley, uh, around, because there, you know, we've talked about kind of examples of behaviors or activities that have, you know, crippled us or, or, or maybe like they served us for a period of time um, because we were like, you know, like even like my, my lying, I think like that served me because I was so afraid, you know what I mean? And it, and, it, and it protected me in that sense, but then it no longer protects me as I get older and I need to leave that behind. And one of the things that we discussed earlier this week is this, this all, this doesn't just happen in like, like uh, behaviors that we might, that might show up in our everyday life. It also kind of shows up in our beliefs and so we started talking about religious coping mechanisms. <laughs> yeah, which is super interesting to me because I hadn't really painted it that way before. Um, and I can only speak as someone who grew up in an evangelical church setting. Um, but I definitely think that there are ways of navigating church and Christianity that we develop as a direct result of the messaging that we receive. And so now I can look back and say that narrative and some of those beliefs no longer feel true for me. Um, but instead of getting angry with my past self of why did you think that or why did you say those things, living into compassion here for me means recognizing that I was doing the best I could with what I had, mm. um, which I will thank my therapist for that phrase of doing the best I could with what I had. Mm. Um, but taking it's important to the like taking ownership of the ways that I have um, potentially perpetuated damaging beliefs in the past can still be held in tension with offering myself compassion and grace. It's not really an either or situation with that. But another example um, that comes out of the same kind of lens of people pleasing for me, church and religious settings were just another area that I found early on I could get a lot of praise in. Um, so having all the Sunday school answers memorized and volunteering for everything under the sun, I subconsciously absorbed this idea that there was a good and a right way to navigate following Jesus. Um, 
One particular story that comes up for me, I remember in probably fifth or sixth grade Sunday school class, we had this worksheet that we were given and we had to rate ourselves on how like Jesus we were in different areas. This was like a one to five scale situation um, for things like holiness and compassion and charity. And so my poor little people pleasing heart was having an absolute crisis because I didn't know if I should give myself a zero because how could I ever be anything like Jesus or give myself a four or five because I really saw myself as being really loving and really compassionate. Um, And scripture talks about how we are Christ-like and offered grace. Um, So being trapped in this, like, what is the right and good answer for how like Jesus I am? But it gets at this underlying understanding that even though I was told that I was freely loved and forgiven, it felt like there was still an asterisk and a little footnote at the bottom that said, well, actually, you do have to earn this. There is a scale here. Um, You can't earn the grace of God, but a solid effort to do so would definitely be appreciated and recognized and praised. Mm. Um, So I think that 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 emphasis on earning approval and earning grace was really deeply tied together for me. Um, And I can just see how that led to a lot of shame and frustration. And it's been so much more freeing to embrace self-compassion in the present and not just as a tool of looking back. But for me, um, just a really like concrete practice this has brought me to is rereading scripture and the stories of Jesus from a deeper place of love and not of judgment, that that's helped free up some of this. I need to earn this love and this grace in a particular way. But that is such a relatable example, Haley, the 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 pressure that uh, past Haley is feeling in that moment of like, should I, should I put this or should I put this? What, what is the, um, what are the adults expecting? What is God expecting? You know what I mean? Like that is, um, I'm, I'm sure for, for any of those of us who, um, you know, our story is coming from a more highly religious background and then, you know, trying to, trying to navigate what, what do I do with that highly religious background that I experienced? It, it doesn't always lead me to health. This is, I think, exactly the pattern that you're encouraging us to look at is we can, when we look back at Haley, you know, like there was, there was, there was some, there was some, uh, we see her full of pressure, but she was trying to, uh, you know, fit in, right? She was trying to, she was trying to do things that are really admirable and really like important and really, uh, you know, like to, to, to help herself. And yet, uh, now we can look back with fresh eyes and see like, oh, that was, that was too great a burden for her to carry, you know, or, oh, I, I, uh, I can see how that, that is not what I want to do, you know, now that I'm, I'm much older, that, that certainly won't serve me. But how do we, I guess the, the difficult part is, um, and, and perhaps this is my, my struggle, and I wonder if, if, uh, if this manifests for you, Haley, or anybody else uh, in, uh, who's listening in, my struggle is really that sense of like, man, I just, I, I want to move on from that. I don't want to ever look back at that story. And, you know, like I was saying before, I just want to forget that that younger Vince ever existed. Um, and I, I realized that that is a, 
that also is like a defense mechanism, a coping mechanism that maybe won't serve me. You know, it's pretending that I've been the person I am now since day one, you know, like, mm -hmm. and somehow that will, that will protect me from a potential, uh, an embarrassment, uh, just like I was talking about before. Um, I wonder if you, you know, like you, you mentioned there's like re maybe some scriptures that like you've read in, uh, through the lens of love rather than judgment, or if there's been any prayer practices, Haley, that have like helped you help you actually look at Haley with love and not pretend that that younger Haley doesn't exist. Yeah. I think something that's been helpful for me has been, um, not just feeling the need to pray answers, but pray questions. Okay. Um, yeah. Being willing. Some of what you're getting at here is really just being okay with embracing mess and discomfort. Um, Cause I think a lot of the people pleasing I was doing and a lot of the trying to earn something was just feeling that tension and that mess and wanting to have a purpose in it and a way to navigate it mm. and a way to succeed at getting through it. Um, so for me, it's been swinging in the opposite direction of I I'm okay now with being in messy tension and kind of sitting in uncomfortable spaces or at least a lot more okay than I used to be with that. Mm -hmm. um, that there doesn't always need to be this immediate resolve. And I've, I've seen that with my, um, just the like ongoing unfolding of following Jesus in my life, that there's been a lot more um, comfort in embracing mess and embracing questions that when I was in a stage where I just, I needed to have answers and I needed to have the right ones and the ones that would be met with approval, um, that that really definitive place, and this kind of gets to the conversation on doubt that we were starting out in the chat too. Oh yeah, yeah. Moving, moving away from definitive places and toward just loving ways to navigate mess has mm. brought a lot of, a lot of um, freedom, I think for me. Mm. Mm, that's super helpful. I I can't help but think about um, if uh, if we're talking about the the way our various coping mechanisms, whether they're behaviors or thought patterns, um, are tied to religious stuff. <laughs> you know, like uh, what we believe or uh, how we behave or think uh, when it comes to like making sense of our the biggest questions of life. Um, one thing I, I I guess we mentioned this um, some weeks back too is the role of music and the role of like lyrics and the role of um, uh, music that we might sing in church and like and those are the words that will uh, make up our prayer life. Those are the words that will often make you know like the the little I'm I'm not talking about necessarily like when we when we set aside time and you know like we boy you know like we've had a we've had a resourced week and we really we got up early and we sat and we oh man the day went so well because I prayed I'm talking about like the prayers under your breath like that just come out because you know life is happening uh, what often I think is going to come up reflexively is stuff that's stuck in our head um, and uh, and and I. I so like I, I can't help but go back to the songs we sing and you know you're you're bringing us back to this give me doubt song you know like could we pray for doubt as a virtue is that is that even like okay is that allowed is that is that worthwhile or is, is that a threat you know, like well, why, why would we do that and um and just thinking about um i mean i i i think about the this kind of 
ball of beliefs that um, maybe I won't go into too much detail, but I, I think I wonder if anybody sees themselves in this kind of ball of beliefs that that's a, it, it's a it's a, a, a combination of a lot of things like you are guilty until proven innocent in the eyes of God. You are uh, rotten and depraved, and uh, but but no longer if you accept Jesus into your heart. You are at your core uh, just a, a, a sinner, but you can be changed if you uh, interact with God, and then you're no longer a sinner, and then you'll be acceptable to God. There is, there is this ball of beliefs that I think... Um, for somebody like me early on in my experience of like uh I, i'm actually like experiencing community and experiencing god for the first time in my life i'm going to church and and so i'm like 18 years old and kind of wide-eyed and then like you know like anybody teach me you know and and i was starting to learn guitar and i was starting to learn that i'm not afraid to sing in front of people and so i was like learning all these songs and learning all of these uh things from these songs and those were the things that were getting stuck in my head when i would pray under my breath and i realized that a lot of those a lot of those beliefs around being guilty until proven innocent, being totally depraved until you invite uh, Jesus into your heart, or being bad at your core, uh, they they kind of they they took up residence in my life. I think because they parroted guilt that I felt back, uh, that I felt it, it parroted back to me guilt that I felt as a rule follower as somebody who you know like had siblings that were uh, far more volatile than I was and so my what I learned as a, at a young age was keep the peace be good and if you're good and you keep the peace you'll be rewarded and that, you know like that's that's your role in life i was a rule follower and i think that this this idea that a belief that parroted back to me all that guilt i was feeling but then assured me i was okay it protected me for a period of time. And that was that was helpful for me in a time when I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, I was uh, I, I, I was trying to put my life back together after my mom had died from cancer. You know, like it was this was this was something that 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 took care of me for a period of time by saying something familiar, already the voice in my head, the rule follower, and then assuring me that I was okay, even if I broke the rules. But eventually as I've gotten older, my identity has matured beyond just rule follower. That is partly who I am. I will always be a rule follower. <laughs> it's sort of unavoidable. But my identity is more than that now. And I've realized that I have needed to make sense of and interpret God, interpret Jesus, interpret uh, what what it means to be loved by God, what it means to be saved by Jesus in different ways than just I was guilty until Jesus made me innocent. Uh, there, there are different ways that I've learned to uh, to interact with those things. And so, what it's meant is like songs that were important to me one like years ago. So now I can I find myself like unable to sing anymore. And I wonder if anybody's have that experience. Like, maybe there's a song that is uh, that's meant to express a prayer, or maybe it has nothing to do with like worship music in church. But there's a, there's a song that you used to like listen to so fondly by some artist back in the day because it really felt like it expressed what you felt at a time. And now you look back maybe years later and you no longer feel that. And this I think is, is exactly what we're talking about is, can we look back on those previous versions of ourselves that were helped by something that now we wanna leave behind and we want to 
to, we want to, you know, figure out differently, but when we look back, can we still see what was so important for younger Vince? What was so, what was so meaningful in that experience for younger Vince? And that allows me now, because I'm still a work in progress, I can treat myself kindly in the present if I'm, if I'm treating my past self uh, with kindness. And yeah. I think that that's, that's a key there. Yeah. I'm thinking of, a few different places in scripture, it talks about going from um, milk to meat. Like you once mm. had like needed spiritual milk and you weren't ready. And now from Hebrews. Yes. This is uh, Hebrews chapter five, maybe I think. Yeah. It's in yeah. first Corinthians too. It comes up a few different places. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But even I always read that as like a judgment against like, oh, I got to be somebody who's not a kid anymore and doesn't need this milk or whatever it may be. But it's actually just a statement of development and growth yes. and change. Yes. Yes. Um, even the word sinner that you're bringing up here, um, Nadia Boltzweber, who's another one of my favorites, talks about how that's just a statement of reality. It's not a statement of judgment. And so can we fondly just say like, yeah, of course I'm a sinner. I'm human and I make a lot of mistakes. Um, so can this process of going from milk to meat or however you want to paint it, um, milk to a plant-based meat alternative, um, <laughs> can, that, can that progression just be recognized as, as human and um, not as a way to look back and judge who we yes. were at the part of this process of becoming who we are. Um, I love that. Yeah. There, a, an ancient prayer that we found pretty useful in our church is the Jesus prayer. It's like a breath prayer. And the inhale is Jesus Christ, son of the living God. And the exhale is have mercy on me, a sinner. And what we've always said when we try to do that prayer is we, we, we self-identify as a sinner in that, not to judge ourselves, but just to be honest with ourselves. What if it's just a statement of fact, not a statement of judgment? I, I just think that's, that's really important. Yeah. This conversation around music too is one of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah, actually, Haley, can I tell on you for a second? Because yeah. um, people may not know this, but Haley Larson is arguably an influencer on Spotify. <laughs> because you, no, I don't, I don't know if, oh, if, false. if you meet the threshold, but don't you have, uh, this is a fun fact that you, you like next time you're playing true, true, Two Truths and a Lie, you should use this uh, for uh, Haley. You have like a Spotify playlist of, songs that are played in churches that's like followed by a thousand people or something thousand is stretching it thousand way less than way less uh, than that um but years ago i made this playlist uh that i titled jesus and coffee um and i was looking at it this week it consists of 15 hours of worship songs um which is a lot of music and i only made it for myself and then other people started following it and I think the reason it feels so impressive is because my other playlists only have one or two likes on it, but this one at its height had like 400 ish, which is a decent number. It's one it's of the, more than I have. if you look up uh, like acoustic worship playlists, it's one of the first ones to come up on Spotify. So I get random messages from newer bands that are starting out they'll message me on social media and ask if i can listen to their music and add it to my playlist like i have not touched that playlist for two years but you got it um but looking through it i don't support the theology behind a lot of these songs 
I did go back in and delete some of the worst ones and added in some, some words that felt really redemptive and true for me um, in this current stage of life. But there's an element of nostalgia that knowing these songs actually brought me a great deal of comfort and hope in the past. They were songs that I sung with people that I really care about and um, in different worship settings and things like that. So that's, it's a funny thing for me to look back through that and know that this collection of music really, really meant something to me and it's changed and that's okay. It's changed. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, go for it. You're gonna... I was going to say, uh, just as we were on the topic of, of scriptures that I think really um, like scriptures to pray over ourselves in this place, in that th through that lens of love rather than of judgment. Um, I think so. Uh, I've I've uh, tracked and there was a First Corinthians reference and a Hebrews uh, reference. So these are two um, writings uh, from the New Testament of the Bible that really capture that development thing that uh, Haley was talking about. Just experiencing like not uh, experiencing the idea that we we change and shape not as like a and so you know therefore leave behind and never remember what you were because you were so rotten, but rather as like a, oh this is a natural part of of life. So from First Corinthians thirteen, this is part of the same um, part of the same paragraph. Uh, where the writer Paul has this famous uh, love um, uh, uh, musing, where you know, like love is kind, love is patient. You know, the, so we've heard that before. This is this is following up that uh, that paragraph, and uh, and Paul writes, "When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part." then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I just, oh, I think that one is so beautiful when we read it about development, mm -hmm. because even it ends in being fully known. This idea that that child part, you know, the leaving behind the childish ways, of course, that's a part of our growth and our development when it comes to what we believe or when it comes to our behaviors and, and our thought patterns. But it doesn't mean that we forget that. Fully known means including and integrating that childish part of us. That's okay. Um, or from Hebrews five, uh, the writer of Hebrews also is the is where we get that milk and meat uh, uh, differential. It says solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. And this, I just I, I love this idea that the way that we move from milk to meat is by practice. The only way we can do it is by living, is by experiencing life doing its dance through us and we grow as a result of that. We are not bad, you know, for having been one place previously. The only way that we graduate from milk to meat is by growing, is by, is by doing life. Uh, and so I just, I think those are really beautiful and, and worth praying over us. Hebrews 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, it is beautiful. And it's humanizing too, I think, to recognize that those we encounter are also on this same journey of trying to hold together these different um, stages and periods of life. And for something, I don't know, for me, that's really comforting that I, I am in this process of looking back and having a loving lens of self-compassion. And that brings me into a deeper place of being able to have compassion for other people mm -hmm. and for what they have experienced and 
how they've become who they are. So for some of us, it might be self-compassion might be the hardest piece of looking back. And for others, compassion for other people might be the hardest piece. Um, I think it's different for everyone, but this ties into our conversation that we're going to be getting into with Lent. So Vince, I would love if you could um, bring us into that a little bit as we close here. Yeah, yeah. And I and just to say thank you for all of the people who shared. We had some really, really beautiful and poignant and vulnerable sharings in our chat today. Thank you, everybody who's, you know, like sort of attaching what we're talking about to what how this is true for you. We really, really appreciate that. Um, and I, I hope it makes everybody feel safer to kind of do that same attaching what we're talking about to ourselves. Um, we, we are, we're, we're talking about this for a specific reason, this idea of looking lovingly at our past selves, because, uh, we, we previewed last week that, uh, we're looking ahead to the, the historic, uh, season of Lent, which is the 40 days in a, the church calendar that lead up to Easter Sunday and Good Friday every year, this rhythm of marking the death and resurrection of Jesus and somehow marking that annually it works on us in a very important way that this this is this is what uh, a life of of continued growth and um uh, it, it involves it involves marking death and resurrection every year and our thought was how how would we mark that this year is that we wanted to play off the idea that um, maybe you've experienced if you've been a churchgoer uh, previous in your life is that you give up something for lent and what we what we thought we wanted to do was give up false beliefs for Lent. But unlike when you give up chocolate, we don't want to go back to them afterwards. We, we would like to give up these false beliefs and not return to them. Um, and so what we've done is um, we, we've carefully selected six specific beliefs that, uh, that we're actually going to visit uh, each of the six Sundays of Lent. And so that will begin on March 6th. That's a, a, you know, a little less than a month away. And then all the way through to Easter Sunday, which is on April 17th, we're going to be visiting six different what we're what we're calling false beliefs. And um, I'll give I'll give you kind of the the um, our list just to kind of uh, we won't go into too much detail, but I, I, hopefully these these spark something in you. Uh, the blueprint view of life is a false belief that we're going to visit. The Bible as an idol is a false belief we're going to visit. Romance will complete you is a false belief we're going to visit. Purity culture is a set of false beliefs that we're going to visit. Christian supremacy is a false belief we're going to visit. And finally, wrath and punishment is a false belief we're going to visit. Now, the reason it feels so important for us to do what we've done today is that a lot of those are going to have deep, deep roots for a lot of us. Those kind of six beliefs, as we as we unpack those, we're going to start to realize there are overt and subtle ways that maybe those have uh, have a lot of soil around them uh, for us, and uh, we're uh, we're we're uh, we see these as kind of religious coping mechanisms that maybe served us for a time, but as we get older no longer are serving us and can cause us great harm. And so what we would like to do is uh, begin that process for a lot of us or, or further along that process for a lot of us, if any of those th uh, six beliefs are coping mechanisms that we are ready to leave behind. And we think this will be really, uh, 
we, we think that the, this will be really beneficial for a lot of us, but we want to begin it now as we're talking about as we're as we're entering into this season where this is what we're going to be doing. We need to begin with a place of looking lovingly and compassionately at our past selves, because we do not want to go in and look around and say like, oh my gosh, look at this terrible belief that I believed. Everything is meaningless. Or we don't want to go around and look at, you know, oh gosh, look at this terrible belief. I don't even want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. I'm forgetting that younger Vince ever existed. If we do those sorts of things, I don't think we'll experience success in constructing new beliefs that will serve us going forward. But if we do so with a loving and compassion eye, uh, then I think that leaving behind false beliefs to construct beliefs that will serve us will actually be a really beneficial and successful process. So that's why that's why we kind of have this in view. Um, and uh, we hope to have a lot of different ways to participate. So as I mentioned, each Sunday we'll be at, we'll have a different talk that is on a specific false belief and how we might, uh, ex uh, we're gonna offer some experiments of like, here is a way that you can actually try to rewire yourself if you see this false belief in your life. Uh, and so we, we, you know, like, especially uh, we're going to start releasing the the actual dates for each of those talks as they get firmed up ahead of time. So, if you know, we know that not everybody can make it every Sunday. And so if there's a specific one that is especially intriguing to you, you can make sure to make it that Sunday or you can listen afterward if you can't make it. Uh, so that's what's going to be happening on Sundays. Uh, but we're also going to have some small group experiences that will uh, that will support this. Uh, so a couple of groups um, that I'm actually going to throw a uh, QR code up on the screen here for you. If if either of these sound interesting to you, th uh, this QR code will take you to uh, a, a quick website where you can sign up just to get on the contact list for either of these groups. First, we're going to have a group that it, we are lovingly calling the not sure what you believe, but it's definitely not white Christianity, but you're kind of drawn to Jesus uh, group. Not sure what you believe, but it's definitely not like Christianity, but you're kind of drawn to Jesus. So if those three things uh, kind of describe you, then this this is going to be an like a very uh, unstructured discussion group. Uh, our friend Liv Mott is going to be hosting this. It's a six hangouts that are going to be throughout Lent. Uh, they'll be on different days throughout the week, so you don't have to like make sure that your calendar lines up with all the other people that are going to be there. Uh, but this will be unstructured discussion, hanging out. I'm told that margaritas will be involved. So that is uh, the uh, the uh, not sure what you believe, but it's definitely not white Christianity, but you're kind of drawn to Jesus group. <laughs> uh, and then second, a more structured group that is going to be looking at the Bible together. And this is going to be uh, led by our own brilliant and knowledgeable Erica McClinn. Uh, the goal of this gr uh, gr uh, group is going to be reading a handful of passages in the Bible uh, through non-Euro-American uh, patriarchal lenses. Uh, you're going to get deep dives into sp some specific passages, and we hope that excites you maybe about a project of returning to scriptures that you maybe thought were familiar, but could be read in a very different way. Uh, so if you're drawn to that idea of the Bible being a resource for your faith, uh, but you feel stuck uh, because of maybe religious coping mechanisms or beliefs that you need to leave behind, this is a group that can support that process for you. Um, I think you'll come away with a lot of fresh eyes uh, to see the whole of the Bible. Uh, so those are those are ways that we can participate. We, this is not going to be the last time we're going to mention these, uh, but our goal is to have uh, lots of different ways uh, to actually, like we're all thinking about this together during Lent, leaving false beliefs uh, behind. Uh, lastly, we can always, you know, recommend like, this is going to be the perfect time to schedule a coffee with a trusted friend or with, you know, one, one of the pastors here just to say like, ah, oh, man, what you were talking about was like, 
turning something in my brain and I'm not sure I'm able to keep turning it, but I, but I think I ought to. Can we talk about that? The, uh, Lent is going to be the perfect time. So this is what we're looking forward to in March and April. And Vince, are these in person or over Zoom? Great question. The, uh, there's going to be a mix. So uh, I believe that the the uh, hangouts for um, the uh, not sure what you believe, uh, but it's not, uh, but you're kind of drawn to Jesus group is going to be in person, and the uh, Bible um, uh, group I believe is going to be online. Okay, perfect. Um, well, I would love to pray for us as we close this time together. Um, also just saw it pop up in the chat that um Jesus, I guess, group. I think that we should just call it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. We're taking it. Love that. Um, so I came across this prayer on Instagram a few days ago um, that was written by Cole Arthur Riley on her account, Black Liturgies. And it drew uh, my attention in because the, the first slide of it was for those who've outgrown a friend. Um, and so as I read this prayer, I would love for us to keep in mind here, not just friendships with people that maybe have been um, good for a season and outgrown now, but actually our, our relationship and our friendship in a strange way with our past selves, our past coping mechanisms, or our past beliefs. Um, so as she's praying about previous uh, relationships that were for a season, I'd love to invite us to think about this um, through the lens of looking at our past selves um, and ways that we have outgrown previous versions of who we are. So would you pray with me? God of once friends, it is difficult to allow for evolution in our relationships. We confess we cling to them out of insecurity or fear or familiarity and we refuse to imagine a future where we aren't as close as we once were. Remind us that not all relationships need to persevere. Reveal to us the beauty and friends that are only near to us in a season and help us to release any guilt that tells us otherwise. There are those of us who are clinging to someone or something we've outgrown, not because of time, but because of pain the wounds they've made in us and we in them. Liberate us from bonds which alienate us from ourselves. Help us to discern when a friendship should be fought for and when we should allow for a sacred release. I am free to let go. God lead me to belonging. Amen.